They're targeting his family, and that's shocking because his actions, John Tadeddle's actions, are his own actions. It's an attempt to force somebody to retract their statement. It's maybe a bit more of a desperate ploy than, than maybe we give it credit for. It's sinister and it's horrible for the people to receive those threats, but maybe if they had the capacity to act in a, in a stronger way, they wouldn't be reduced to it. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A former Garda superintendent has been jailed for six and a half years after he was caught with more than a quarter of a million euro worth of cannabis. But the investigation into John Spud Murphy began because of his suspected links to the Hutch organised crime group and the passing of information to them. Before his arrest in Spain, Jerry the Monk Hutch became aware of a European arrest warrant issued for him, thanks to an anonymous Twitter site. And now the same social media channels are under investigation because of threats to state witness Jonathan Dowdall and members of the Garda team working on the Regency probe. So what's been going on? Today I'm talking to Niall Donald about the jailing of one of Ireland's most decorated former officers and about the social media campaign against Dowdall and his family. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. That guard of superintendent, John Murphy, like, I remember him. Yeah. He used to knock around with sort of celebrities and a couple of journalists that I knew. I remember meeting him on a number of occasions. He'd come into pubs that journalists frequented. I am going to say this and people will laugh. I did not like him. Yeah. I got a bad feeling about him. <laughs> I get well, I get those feelings about people. I can't explain it. I just... He, there was something about him. I just never kind of felt very comfortable in his in his presence. Now, big, tall man. And obviously at that point, he would have been very, you know, high up ranking Garda. He was popular, I suppose. I think he might have been in traffic at that point. So he had quite a bit of power. Yeah. I mean, he came from a, a hugely respected family with a, a number of members in, in, in Garda Shia Khan, including his own father. So... You know, really, you look at, at, you know, over the last few years, there's been a lot of, you know, talk about Garda, Garda involved in, in misdemeanors and stuff like that. But to have uh, an ex-Garda caught with a quarter of a million pounds worth, more than a quarter million pounds worth of drugs, I mean, I think it's pretty much unheard of. I mean, it's not, it, this is not uh, personal consumption. This is not, um, you know, something that's been given to friends. I mean, this is a huge, huge amount of drugs. And it Stashed is... Stashed in his wardrobe, his coal bunker and a car. Yeah. Um, you know, seven, eight bags of, of, of cannabis, uh, you know, really unheard of of stuff, I think. Um, and, you know, I think it really did send shockwaves through the Gardaí. You can say these things and, you know, they sound a bit trite at times, but I think that amount of, to, to have somebody that deep, deeply involved in, in criminality, uh, I think is. I think it's still sending shockwaves because I think that there's, a, you know, only half the story really has come out and we're going to give another little bit of it today. But I think this is going to be one that will be, uh, you know, it could be drip, drip with this with this guy with this story. Absolutely. So, 
Former Garda Superintendent John Murphy had pleaded guilty to having cannabis for sailor supply in his North Dublin home. That, uh, the seizure of those drugs was in late September of last year. Now, he's been sentenced to six and a half years in prison. He's been in custody since October the 4th of last year, so the sentence will be backdated to then. But the fact of the matter is that this seizure of these drugs was found during a search concentrated on the wider Hutch organisation and information that they were possibly or that Gardy believed they were receiving. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it happened uh, almost simultaneously with the actual uh, arrest of Jerry Hutch in, in Spain. But there's been a wider investigation going on, part of it focusing on how um, information seems to have been received by the Hutch gang. I mean, we know the inform- they had information that was very confidential. We know it because it went up on Twitter. I mean, simple as that. It's mm. not the fact they had the information isn't, isn't uh, in dispute. So there's a wider, as these, these things happen, when, the, when some, something like that comes out, some information that shouldn't be there is in the public arena. A wide net is thrown, a broad investigation into, you know, phones, into various communications. And as part of that investigation, um, it seems that John Murphy's house was raided. Um, you know, whether... Now, you're just referring there to the fact that the, the fact there was a European arrest warrant for Jerry Hutch went up on an anonymous Twitter site. So were those Twitter sites and are those Twitter sites used as a means of communication or is the information put up on them to sort of, you know, scatter or turn any investigation in a different direction? Well, I think, I mean, it's used for for two purposes, propaganda for a start, um, you know, but I think if you look, uh, you know, to, to, to put aside a cross, to keep, you know, maybe respect within the community which is which is needed keep a level of fear to show that these people have power that they can get this information i think there's there's all of that going on but also i think in regarding the information about jerry hutch a lot of it i think was used as in a sort of a vaguely uh, juvenile attempt to intimidate the gardi yeah to well, say definitely that yeah to say if if you know these charges are brought against person a then we're going to say this about the Gardaí, um, you know, so that was certainly was going on. Um, and, you know, I don't think the, the guards wouldn't have uh, launched an investigation because they're getting abuse on Twitter. I don't think that's yeah. the point. The point is that there is confidential information there at some point. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, we know over years how Jerry Hutch was felt about in the, in the North Inner City. He was here, you know, for his whole life, um, but in recent years, he kind of became a kind of maybe accepted figure within society. You know, he was, you know, for example, opening boxing clubs and all of that. He would have had interaction with the Gardaí over the years. And there was all these rumours from the beginning of the Regency feud that his interactions with Gardaí were, and ex-Gardaí, were, were, were not fully kosher, I suppose. And that's the context in which there was an investigation. Um, 
But I don't think anybody would have expected to find in somebody that, you know, I, I don't know how many superintendents there are in the country, not too no, many. No, no, there's a finite number of yeah, them. Like, so it's a very high-ranking have, position. Yeah, to, I mean, there have been over the years, Gardaí caught leaking information from Pulse, but it tends to be uh, lower-ranking Gardaí and for lower stakes. Um, they you would know. be serving as well. I mean, uh, John Murphy retired many years ago and in actual fact his retirement was reported in the newspaper in the entertainment's pages because uh, it was attended by many celebrities yeah, and yes, by journalists. I, yeah, and by exhortees, celebrities, etc. Obviously they wouldn't have known anything about no. anything at that stage, whether it was at that point going on or not, is is questionable anyway. But so, I mean, I think he, you know, Spud Murphy, as he was called, I never met the guy, but he had a you know a reputation for enjoying a high life and for wanting to be around certain movers and shakers in society. Um, and you know, as the court case heard today, um, he managed to retire from the Guardi and get himself in a pile of 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 financial trouble. Um, had amassed debts, it was said in court, of something like 850,000. Seems to have had, according to his own lawyer, the opposite of the Midas touch. Um, seems to have invested in businesses that, that, that you know, lost money rapidly and didn't know what he was doing. Um, and was a heavy drinking man, described as a functioning alcoholic in court. Um, so I suppose all of these things... Uh, you know, when people have financial debts and are living that type of life where they're, you know, drinking or, or you know, it's it, it does lead you people into the situation where making quick books off drugs or, or other things uh, it becomes more and more attractive as time goes on. Now, look, obviously we take what we take on board what has been read into the court and what the court has heard about those debts of 850,000 Um he would have had a very healthy pension. I imagine coming out of the guards and a superintendent's uh, pension. And he also, from memory, was involved with security work yeah, for which, you too. Yeah, and it would have been highly paid, um, would have been well paid, those sort of jobs. But however, you know, he was, you know, obviously, from what I heard, was investing in in, in companies both here and, in, and abroad, and, you know, those things weren't working out for him. Mm. But, you know, it's the ties to the Hutch investigation. That's yeah. going to feed a big, a lot of questions, I think, you know. So we were sort of talking around this the other day. What is suspected is that he was possibly trying to garner information um, through contacts. He would have had, um, he had been a Garda for, for 40 years and would have probably had still known people within the organisation or whatever. And the suspicion is he may have been trying to find out information from unwitting former colleagues and then passing it on to Hutch. Yeah, who, who um, you know, we hear he was uh, uh, in touch with from time to time. Um, you know, Jerry, and I think Jerry Hutch, you know, that would have been useful to him. And, mm. um, you know, a lot of Gardy like journalists, like criminals, maybe like everybody in society, they tend to be gossipy. They talk about work issues. You know, if two journalists meet up, they tend to talk about, you know, what other journalists are doing, their sort of lives. 
And and you know that's what happens with Gardy and ex Gardy. They you know it's it probably is normal for them to ask, did you hear anything about this? Do you hear anything about that? And that seems to be the suspicion that, that somehow or other that information subsequently ended back up with with with, with Jerry Hutch in particular. Um, he's now there's no charges against John Murphy for anything like that. There's no. Uh, arrests for that and um, it's not even clear if that would be a criminal offence for an ex-Garda mm. a non-serving Garda to share information and um, but you know that's but such as links to Hutch were being investigated as, as part of a wider yes probe. it links you know and where but, you know I- like Murphy's 61 he came from a different time a different age I mean even take our own careers in journalism um things that the way you work today isn't the way you worked in the past I mean it was so no. so different, the no. kind of stuff we were able to do, people would say, get away with. Yeah. And it was the same for the guards with informants and people within the criminal underworld. They had a very kind of a different relationship than they are now. Now it's all governed under this CHIS system, where if somebody brings in an informant, it has to be handled in a central system and they won't be the ones dealing with the informant that they know. Um, you know, that that is all handled yeah. and the information comes into a certain particular system. Um, many don't like it, particularly more old school guardy who remember the days that you were able to, if something happened on the street, you were able to go down and meet your yeah. your, your, so, I mean, your tent reason, and, and find out very quickly. The reason it's been brought in <clears throat> and it's mimicked across the world, I mean, nearly all Western, you know, governments have brought in a similar system because, you know, obviously criminals would tell things to, to, to police in the olden days and a wink and a nod, have a word with a with a with a police officer, and then maybe that would lead to an arrest or or to 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 a result. And it seemed to work for everybody, you might say. But the problem with it is that, you know, and, and this is mimicked in the north, you know, and across England, certainly in America, where it ended up um creating this grey area where it was felt not specifically talking about the Gardaí, but it felt that system it lended itself to, um, if not corrupt practices, wrong practices, where certain criminals were allowed uh, get away with certain stuff because they were providing information on other criminals. Mm. I mean, probably the most infamous case is the Whitey Bulger case in the US, where because he was feeding information uh, about about the mafia, really, and, and he was allowed set up yeah. from one of the most dangerous organizations and all he kept doing was feeding that information to to the FBI or the CIA and so that's a classic example of where you, because it's you know his But the his, criticism was he was too high up and I mean he was a murderer. Yeah, but that and that, that he's kind of been allowed away with crimes as significant yes, as that. Yes, and that is, you know, obviously the the the, the criticism of that sort of informal mm dealing with informers that it tends to allow those situations to develop where what's the difference between one gang is giving information on another gang mm-hmm. you know you can't have that unmonitored mm-hmm. because it does it tends to lead to to, to dodgy results mm-hmm. um, and obviously up the north that was going on all the time with with with, with the paramilitary organizations um, so now it's centralized so it can be checked that people aren't being allowed away with crimes in order to to help with other crimes. Um, Obviously, some Gardaí don't like it. Certainly, you know, it it makes the process of informing, developing informers much, much harder because, um, you know, I know from talking to somebody that, you know, they have to sign forms, they have to meet people, you know, 
they don't want to do that criminals they don't want you know the idea the paranoia of having that your name, name is somewhere well somewhere, i wouldn't like it either no somewhere on a database yeah so i mean that's that makes it more difficult but there is a reason for it it's not just you know bureaucratic but what sort of i mean obviously you know murphy any communications he'd had be they with other individuals, with members of the force or anything that he might have known. Like, for example, he could have gone for a cup of coffee with somebody and, of course, they then become under suspicion if he's under surveillance himself. So it's a bit uh, difficult for lots of people who knew him. I mean, there could have been lots of people who met him that hadn't a clue that he was trying to... Oh, 100%. And I mean, it's get just, info. It's normal gossip, I suppose, within, you know, they, a serving guard might think, oh, sure, I could tell him this yeah. and that. Um so, yeah, that's, you know, that's the reality. And, you know. But what sort of information could the likes of John Murphy ga- gather for the monk that would be of use? We don't know, obviously, about John Murphy in particular. But, I mean, the types of informations that are particularly useful to criminal gangs in, in, in Dublin over the years have been specific information about warrants. Warrants are normally uh, processed, you know, a period of time before they're served, for example, Um so there is a, a gap there where people can know something is coming. And um, the other information that 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 criminal gangs are always wanted over the years have been um, information about car regs, information about addresses, that sort of stuff that is that is a, that will be available on guarded databases like Pulse. Um, so and you know they're hugely valuable. And then, of course, obviously, intel on either their own members, uh, yes, gang members, particularly, or yeah, rivals. particularly in, intel on you know who's meeting who, and all of that stuff is there available. Yeah. And there's no, there's no, we don't have anything to say that John Murphy was providing that information in specific. But there can be, without a shadow of a doubt, we can be sure that that's the sort of information the Hutch gang wanted. And then you can see it on Twitter. People associated with the Hutches had information that could only have come from a source within the state, an official source within the state. It wasn't street gossip that there was a European arrest warrant issued. That wasn't going around. It was specific. And, you know, that's obviously of huge, huge concern because, you know... Because Hutch went missing after that information came out. Hutch went missing and, you know... If, he was due to be arrested from memory on Lanzarote. Yeah, and I mean... And he went to Spain. Or no, he came to Spain or something and he was due to fly back, but he never did. He went to ground in Spain. Was missing for two months before he was arrested um, in April yeah. of, of 2021. So having that information in that case, which didn't ultimately make too much of a difference, but it's of huge importance. You know, information can be a hugely valuable thing. And, you know, Twitter, we've been talking about this for a long time because it's not only been the Hutch organisation that have used Twitter, but the other side have too, the Kinahan. But just stick to the Hutch organisation at the moment because it's also significant this week that following on from Jonathan Dowdall's appearance in the Special Criminal Court, from the confirmation that he's going into witness protection, that he is turning state witness against Jerry Hutch, uh, a lot of Twitter sites have been sort of very active, putting together posters on him, issuing threats, basically, that, you know, we'd need to watch out. I've seen a lot of pictures of his wife. I'd never have known what yeah. she looked like before. I saw a poster done about his daughter. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is big time intimidation. But we always wondered why Twitter was used, because it's sort of the more middle classy yeah. place. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it's a nasty old place, but it's it's where, you know, a lot of journalists are and, and kind of politicians, politicians and that. 
But is it because it's more difficult to trace the setup of a Twitter anonymously type Twitter site? I mean, is that why they're using it, I wonder, as opposed to, I mean, we in the past would have suggested that they wanted to target specific people. That's why they were using Twitter. But maybe it is kind of more lax in how you set up so it's more difficult to trace who owns an account. Well, I'm not sure that that's true now because I think they can get warrants and find accounts similarly than they can for Facebook or Instagram. But I do think a part of it is that they don't just want this going to their Mm -hmm. associates. They want it out there in a general sense to maybe people that wouldn't, you know, first up, Twitter is almost totally open. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So sites aren't closed down. But I think it's it's to spread it generally within the Guardi, within the polit- politicians, within journalists who are all on Twitter yeah. obsessively for, <laughs> you know, they just are. So I think it's a t- an attempt to spread it as widely as possible. Mm. Um, but I mean, it's very, very difficult to track the source of information on social media unless you set it up with your own email and, and, and phone but and of course know, they don't, I mean, what, what we do know is that in, in 2016, a Kinnahan-linked Twitter site set up known as Sarah Sean or Sarah Screer, and it was putting out pieces of information about the Regency Hotel and who was supposedly involved in it. I think we mentioned it the yeah, other day. including Jonathan Dowd. Jonathan Dowd yeah. all, and then yeah. I had my incident with him at the motorbike and all the rest of that. But behind the scenes, there was an investigation into that site and what was discovered by the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation was that that site had been set up on the dark web and I think Thor is that right was that, I don't is that remember one of those exactly things? yeah but it was it was a non-traceable non-traceable and the IP address had been scrambled yeah. through Canada and back through Holland and all this sort of stuff they were never able to discover it and in actual fact I remember that uh the Silk Road was eventually kind of uncovered and found and, you know, they, they got a breakthrough in the investigation when whoever was running it left it logged on. But in the case of this Kinahan-linked site, it was never left logged on. It was always, they always logged out of it. Yeah. It was been really professionally run. And while the suspicion ended up basically uh you know, it was it was believed that it was linked to to Sean McGovern and directly linked to Daniel Kinahan and his father Christopher Kinahan Senior, and was being used as a a propaganda tool. It was also uh, this site was also directly speaking to journalists and other people. And what the individual was claiming to be was some sort of an international, um, you know, intelligence officer or whatever that just had an interest in all this. And I remember even getting messages from the individual and it would be like little tidbits of information would be given yeah, or what looked like a little bit of information. And, you know, you could be communicating and the next thing you'd be asked a question about something. Yeah. And that was usually about, is there a warrant issued for this person? Is there a yeah. warrant issued for that person? Now, I never thankfully answered any of those questions. But um, at the same time, it was that same piece of information and this was seen as being the real secret of its success. That same piece of information was being given to everybody. Yeah. And then a lot of people were giving back a piece of information. Yeah. So for the one piece it gave, yeah. it could have got a hundred pieces of information yeah. back. Yeah. And there's some, exactly, there's some things that are hugely important to know. And, you know, you can see that with the Jerry Hutch uh, warrant that, mm. that these things, you know, can make a huge, huge difference 
But yeah, it was a sophisticated attempt. But I'd say some of these new hutch things are more likely to be Tesco mobile phones that are thrown away after a couple of days than And what sort of stuff have you seen on them? Well, I mean, there is particularly a lot of stuff targeting Jonathan Dowdle's family, which is, Mm. you know, really shocking. um, That, you know, obviously Jonathan Dowdle, as we heard in court, has given a witness statement, uh, signed it, given it to the Gardaí. But there's still a period of time before he goes to court. Um, That witness statement uh, would not, you know, he needs to be cross-examined in court for his witness statement to be tested, for it to be taken uh, in, in, in the full legal sense. So, the fact that he's given a statement already doesn't mean it's it's all over. Obviously, it's an attempt to to intimidate him before he gets uh, in, onto the witness stand, which the, the guards have obviously said they, they're going to bring him up onto. So they're targeting his family, and that's mm-hmm. shocking, you know, because his actions, Jonathan Dedel's actions, are his own actions. I mean, there's there's you know his people associated with him. You know, should never have to bear the brunt of that. I mean, it's 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 terrible. Um, so that that is what it is. It's an attempt to, you know, force somebody to to retract their statement. And of course, people have done that in the past, retracted statements. And there's been quite a bit. I was reading one of the accounts there the other evening, and there was quite a bit about the witness protection program and suggestions that, you know, you can run but you can't hide. Now it was making quite. Um, articulate and intelligent hmm. commentary around the witness protection, yeah. I have to say. Spelling yeah. is very good on it. Yeah. Um, the writing is very clean. The grammar yeah. is all correct. Uh, the information, of course, some of it is incorrect. Spoke about Charlie Bowden uh, from the, the Witness Security Programme of 1996. He, of course, gave evidence in the Gilligan trial and hmm. claimed to know where he was relocated to. Um, and then went on to make this commentary about um, how, you know, the world is just different now to yeah. when it was set up, which is actually true. In part, it's true. In, I mean, you know, it is, it is true because there's there's cameras everywhere. There's uh, social media. Obviously, anybody going on witness protection is going to be told, avoid putting yourself and your family up on Facebook with your new location. Most people aren't that thick. But nonetheless, there is that constant fear and out there that you can't go to a pub without somebody possibly taking no, a I mean, photograph. I think the real difficult bit for people in witness protection is the, 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 the loss of contact with their own families, you know. But the state can protect people. I think I think that is is clear, you know. Um, you know, if the state does a good job, it can protect people who 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 enter that program, you know. But they'll protect them when they've entered the program, but once they give their evidence, they sign them off the program yeah. and they are on their own. And, yeah. and that's really what I think a lot of this commentary from the Hutch sites is getting at. You yeah. know, how are you going to survive? Are you going to hide? Term. How are you going to run? Um, you know, yeah. All those things are probably rattling around Jonathan Dowdall's head anyway. Yeah. Um and probably partly the reason why he looks so stressed out in court uh, the other day, etc. Um, I think the targeting of his family is pretty, you know, it's bad. It's I mean, gross, like it it's is, horrible, you know. Is, I mean, yeah. horrible, horrible uh, younger people being mentioned and just, yeah. just, just horrific, you know. Mm. Just not, just, just not, not nice. And but you know, it's going to continue. That's the fact of it. Yeah. And um, the Twitter wars are, are, or the social media wars, as we've seen in Finglas and 
feuds and Drahada feuds. It's just a modern feature of organized criminality. It's just an absolutely not gonna not gonna go away. But it's an effort it is a new route to intimidate. I mean you remember back in the day and it of course did happen during the Hutchin Kinnan feud, but to be a bit of graffiti on a wall. Mm. But I mean, this is just, you know, 24 hour graffiti, yeah. really. Like, in your you know, head, if you're yeah. looking at it. Yeah. Now, interestingly, these same uh, sites, which have kind of cranked up and are very active now against Jonathan Dowdall and his decision to go witness protection, were the same sites, it appears, that were active last April when the monk was arrested in Spain and they were giving sort of false information out about some of the guards investigating him yeah. involved in this Regency investigation. They have been very personally targeted. I haven't seen much like that before, I have to say. I mean, that's been going on for a long time. Yeah. I mean, they have been very personally targeted because there, there's personal ill feeling towards them and it just shows you that it's not just some uh, lunatic in his bedroom that doesn't know mm. anything about anything. Just, I mean, there are a couple of lunatics in their bedroom that have uh, tweeted about it, but it, it there are obviously some people that are very much deeply embedded in 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 this feud that are on Twitter or directing others on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no doubt about that. And do you think it's a little bit old school? Which the whole I know it's a, on a modern forum, but that idea that you can intimidate somebody to drop a case, or you can. I think what you've seen in terms of the reach of both organisations is much much diminished. Um, the Kinnan organisation, mm. the Hutch crime gang they are not they don't have the reach that they that they once had and you know it's it's maybe a bit more of a desperate ploy than than maybe we give it credit for it's sinister and it's horrible for the people to receive those threats but maybe if they had the capacity to act in a in a stronger way they wouldn't be reduced to it and i don't think those organizations are have that iron grip of dublin like they did um in nine in 2016 for Mm -hmm. example Mm -hmm. Well, Niall Donald, thank you very much. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.